Welcome to Blockbusted, the movie review podcast where two grandmothers ask, would you like some tea? I'm Mitch. I'm Max. And today we are looking at Gran Torino and Gran Turismo based on a true story. You want to hear my Clint Eastwood doing a car impression? Yeah, go, go. Vroom, vroom. What do you think? Uh, um, Gran Torino. No, that's horrible. Hold on. Hold on. Gran Torino. It's my Gran Torino that I put the steering column in so it was extra racist. I, it was a really racist car. I, I, I'm just thinking about it at the end when he serenades us and he goes, driving down the street. With my my windows down in my Grand Torino. Torino. And then it turns into some random high-pitched guy at the end. Anyway, hello everyone. Welcome to the episode. Today's theme is Grand T, because uh, that's what the names of each of these movies Oh, was have. that the Grandma T? Jo- yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. got him gotcha. good, right? It's yeah. six levels deep. Um, it's like an ins- in- ins- pot for Inception. Six levels down. Too hard to comprehend. I'm just so freaking yeah, clever. You're making them listen further into the episode to understand the jokes or yeah. listen more of the episode. They're intrigued by what I'm saying because they know it's going to come together because I've set up a rapport with our audience that they know my jokes will always, always work out. I, I want to kind of like give a little bit of history on what this was meant to be originally. Uh, this was meant to be... Gran Turismo and Need for Speed because we thought maybe video game car movies would be a good theme. But then we thought it'd be funny to do this instead. After watching Gran Torino, I'm not sure how funny we can make this. I don't know what you're talking about. We can definitely make this funny. Yep. Well, let's start with trying to get Gran Torino very funny with also spoiler alerts for both films. Gran Torino. Directed by Clint Eastwood and released in 2008, it stars Clint Eastwood, B. Vong, Arnie Her, Christopher Carley, and Brian Haley. Max, what is Gran Torino about? Gran Torino is about a Hmong teen who's caught trying to steal his neighbor's car, his neighbor who happens to be a racist old uh, man who is a Korean War veteran, and... This event kickstarts a journey of understanding between the two and solving gang violence in Michigan. Was it was it Michigan? Was that where it was? It was Michigan. It said it on all of the number plates. I literally didn't look at them. I, I didn't actually look at the number plates. I always looked at the car because, I mean, the point wasn't so much the number plate. It was more the fact that the, the, the dad or whoever was driving a non-American car every single time. So, what did you think? So... I have conflicting feelings about this film. I really liked this film, but this film is, as much as it tries to play around it, is still a pretty problematic film. Very much so. In that I think the story is mostly good and the representation is actually much better than you would expect like if you would just watch the first five minutes of the film, for example. But it plays into a white savior narrative which ultimately harms the film, I think, in a, in a, in a modern context or contemporary context. No, I, I totally agree. When I watched this movie a few years ago for the first time, I did rewatch it 
so this is it's not like I just watched it once ages ago and then was like I can talk about this on a podcast I watched this movie ages ago I really liked it I thought it was a really good movie um this was back when I started really getting into films as well so I was you know really into it all that Clint Eastwood a legend of Hollywood that type of thing uh I rewatched it the other day and upon rewatching it I felt the urge to kind of just look up and go, what is the actual, how, how was this movie received is kind of what, and, and it was received pretty well at the time, but very recently, actually the, the main actor, or oh, sorry, uh, B Vong, who plays the main Hmong teen, who we spend most of the movie with getting to who gets to know Clint Eastwood and it was the initial person who tried to steal the car and all that. He's come out against it recently and said a bunch of like, it's not actually like, it, there's a bunch of things that went up to snuff. I think it's important to discuss this because he mentioned that Asian actors were not allowed to change their lines, even though Clint Eastwood said they were. And Clint Eastwood's notoriously a very loosey-goosey director. Tom Hanks has a very funny, what's the word? When, when you have a story, anecdote, has a very funny anecdote about how Clint Eastwood would just kind of whisper in their ear, all right, you can go. And then that's enough. And it will also all be one takes and all that type of thing. So the Asian actors weren't given the kind of freedom a lot of the other actors were given. Uh, they were also not invited to a lot of the events that the white actors had put on because the white actors had assumed that the Asian actors couldn't speak English much like their characters couldn't. And the, he's also said that the Kirby's Mouth slurs that were in the film, like, you know, because they do... That's and that's a big thing of the film as well. I don't think the movie ever at any point tries to kind of say it's okay, but it's done in such a casual manner that he attributes a lot of the mainstream hate towards Asian Americans to like the film's reception and how the film present just did everything so casually and presented what that type of behavior basically because it was shown as a joke and not as a very serious thing to say. It's, it wasn't given the same reverence as other slurs for other ethnicities are often given. And I mean, I think it's really important to bring up because he brought, he brought this up during, I believe, the recent Stop Asian Hate movement that was in 2021, which came about because there was a 339% rise of Asian, uh, against Asian violence or uh, Asian violence perpetrated, perpetrated towards Asians in 2020. And a lot of this was considered to be due to COVID coming from Wuhan and a lot of the, the conception of how, um, like the, the Asian, like the, the Asian thing there, like the, uh, the, the hate that came from that. And so I think it's really important to make sure that we definitely say that an actor inside the actual film has come out and said that they're against it. So it makes it even harder when I say I, I do actually like this movie as well. What do you think after I've just said all this stuff? What do you think now about that? I mean, it makes sense. It unfortunately, is a movie that like, is, like it is very well constructed. It's not unfortunately well constructed, but it's very well constructed, and the story is compelling. But it, like, it is functionally a racist film, and we're not talking about a film that was made in fifties or even sixties, seventies, eighties. We're talking about a film that was made in two thousand eight, and we're really like looking at it with a perspective that's a lot closer to what the standards are now. And although like, yeah, as you're saying, the amount of like, especially online hate and hate crimes 
against. I do want to point out, sorry, the statistics I said were specific to America. I can't, that wasn't worldwide, but it's still, From it's my still understanding applicable. is it was, it was represented reasonably similarly across the globe. Especially, unfortunately, due to the origin of where COVID came from, there was a bit of rhetoric that came out due to that. Yeah. And obviously you had people help perpetrate this, like certain American presidents. Who? Who could do that? Who would want to do that? For what reason would they have? Although we're like more aware of it and I think people are a bit more switched on about it given all of that and given the fact that these stats have come out and find the fact that um, it's been made pretty publicly aware that this is a pretty real issue. At, at the end of the day, I think the film knows it's being racist and it tries to show that as it's an old guy stuck in his ways. Um, but ultimately it is still a racist film. And given the proximity to now and our contemporary understanding of what it means to be hateful against ethnic groups specifically, um, in this case, it's a question about like, well, how much can we forgive this film for? And I don't think we can. I think what I'm I'm about to, I think Seb, going to play devil's advocate here, but not really. It's more like, I'm not going to come to the movie's defense, but what I am going to say is I think there was a genuine attempt from Clint Eastwood to discuss racism in this. I think the issue is that it was written by two white men and then directed by a really old white man. And it's coming from that perspective of how to tackle racism and how to represent a people. So it's, especially when you find out that the the people who require that representation were more limited in their creativity in performing what they were given. It's, it's, it's like kind of like a, it's like a weird little uh, paradox uh, like catch 22 type thing, not catch 22. That's a bit of an incorrect, but like a little bit of a paradox thing. It just, it keeps kind of circling in on itself. And because I do, as I said, I genuinely believe Clint Eastwood was trying to do something good here. I just think he was misguided because he's old and he, he, he needed a more modern, not white view from somewhere in the creative process to make this more appropriate and more applicable not applicable, but just more appropriate and more representative and more well-rounded and provide a better message than what we got. I think what Hollywood and like the media in general is starting to slowly learn now is that like the most effective way to both combat like racism as it is portrayed in media, but more so representation of uh, marginalized communities is to have marginalized communities in a position where they can, where artists can create content. And we're seeing much more of that and we're seeing much more, especially in the last few years, broader acceptance of specifically Asian films in American cinema. Like I would jump to Parasite winning Best Picture as a as a world first a couple of years ago. The f- first time in international films won Best Picture, yeah. And just as sort of a point or a suggestion that we're moving in a direction, I, I definitely don't think that we're at the finishing point yet, but we're moving in a direction that means that we can combat ideas of like racial prejudice and be able to portray people of marginalized communities in a better way by allowing them to like have the access to be able to do that and not have someone write a story about them for them. And I, I, I think that that's effectively what you were saying before is that like this movie does try and talk about issues of race and 
ultimately the its folly is that the writers and the director couldn't they have never been in that sort of position where they're on the other end of that sort of racial hate. I, I would go to bat for Clint Eastwood on this one. I don't I don't think he was trying to do anything incorrect. I think he had his heart in the right place. And I wanted to test that theory. So I, I, I don't know. Have you do you know about his two movies that he released in two thousand and six? No. So in nineteen forty four during World War II, I believe it was 1944, 1945, I beg your pardon. In 1945, there was the Battle of Iwo Jima, which is an island off Japan. And um, basically the, the Americans and the Japanese clashed on that island. For the, On the American side, there's the really iconic six uh, GIs lifting up the flag image. That's where that comes from. It's a very famous, you, you probably know it even if you don't know what I'm talking about right now. But it's a very famous image. And on the um, Japanese side, there's some very well-written books that are basically dedications towards the general who led, the Japanese general who led uh, the the battle there um, and the letters that he sent home. And the reason why I'm talking about this is because Clint Eastwood released two films, one called Flags of Our Fathers and one called The Letters from Iwo Jima. Flags of Our Fathers tells the American side of that battle and then the Letters from Iwo Jima tells the Japanese side. Now, Flags of Our Fathers is fine. It's a decent film. I would not call it a bad film. I'd call it a good film, but it's all right. Letters from Iwo Jima, and this is not just me saying this. This is pretty much the consensus I've seen online, is a really good film. It's pretty excellent. But I was once again interested to see like what the Japanese uh, reception was, and apparently the, it was received pretty well in Japan. It was like the uh, the number one in the box office for a really, really long time. Why am I talking about this? That's a really good question. Basically, I believe that Clint Eastwood because I wa- I watched those because I wanted to see what he how he showed more Asian representation, basically, especially when it comes into conflict with Americans, because that's this movie is basically Americans versus. Oh, when I say this movie, I mean Gran Torino. It's very much like American man, old American man set in his ways versus a, an Asian culture. And I was curious to see how he showed this in wartime as well, because I'd had heard good things. It's once again pretty good, but the issue does once it stems from the fact that it's got that Western storytelling problem. It was told by Westerners. So I think the reason why I'm talking about this is because I really think that Clint Eastwood's trying to say something, but he's doing it in the, oh, he was trying to say something 15 odd years ago. He's trying to say something, but he, he's not getting the right people to help him say it. And I don't know, I don't think that's a deliberate thing, uh, a deliberate malice from him. I think, as I said, he's just really old. And he's stuck in his ways and he won't he won't do the necessary change to get that story out. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? Yeah, and it's sort of ironic given the themes of this. It's film. very ironic, yeah. The other issue might be that he doesn't might not even think to be, that he needs to. Because he might not even he might be so just unaware that that's necessary. Because I just don't want to attribute any malice to him. Because I don't think he I don't think he means not well. <laughs> yeah, I there's a proverb um that i can't remember how it goes but it's effectively like sufficient ignorance is equivalent to malice i mean it's it's definitely something that is worth considering and i think it's something worth considering given his career he built his career on the american west and coming um through as a movie star in the 60s i believe which was a genre of film that was 
largely about portraying white men as heroic saviors against typically the evil non-white. Usually it's Mexicans. Well, it was Mexicans or Native Americans. From what I've seen of what I've watched, it's usually Mexicans. Yeah, I, uh, but point is... Well, is there's, that- I mean, there's this amount of evil white people in it too. I, I don't think we should... It, it, it's not... Yeah, look... As, rough, as a genre, as a genre, yes. that right. that is the ideas that these are built out of, and it's a built out of the idea of the white um, savior. And I don't think Clint Eastwood has grown out of that. And that said, I think he is being reflective on it, and he's done this in a couple of films. I think this one's a good example of it. The Grand Torino is a good example of it. There's another film that he was in. I haven't watched all of it, but I talked about it. <laughs> um, which is a movie called Unforgiven, which he directed and starred in, I believe, in... Yeah, Unforgiven. That's a good movie. 1992, yeah, good. where um, he effectively plays the Western villain as he comes to, as the character comes to terms with the idea that, or rather the movie is coming to terms with the idea that a lot of what the typical Western hero stands by is these ideas of racial persecution and white heroism and exceptionalism, and American exceptionalism specifically. And I think Clint Eastwood has used the latter half of his career to reflect on that. And I think he is aware that the way that his earlier films were constructed is a harmful portrayal of minority ethnic groups. But as you said, him being like an auteur, if you will, doesn't allow for the stories that he's trying to tell because it's him as a white man trying to tell the stories of not white men. Yeah, it, it, it's really rough is the word I would use. Did you say you hadn't watched Unforgiven? You hadn't finished it? No. You should finish it. It's really good. I watched it a few years ago. It's like the last Western before base the, the, the whole thing died, which is it's a good send off of the whole genre, I'd say. Well, from my memory of discussion at uni about this film is it was it sort of acted as this capstone of the genre because it was showing it showing the genre for what it was. No, it's really good. You should you should watch it, all of it. <laughs> Everyone should. Good movie. Unless you like don't like Westerns, in which case don't watch it, you'll hate it. I have, a, I have a question for you, Mitch. Sure, hit me. Did this movie mm-hmm. remind you of any other movie that came out at roughly the same time that may or may not be also an excellent film that is about similar ideas, but less violent and also for children? Kung Fu Panda? No, try again. Can you give me a hint? Can you give me someone who like starred in it? It's a Disney film. Disney film. So animated. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm not good with my animated movies. You're you're way better at this than I am. So it's Disney, not Pixar. It's Disney Pixar, but uh, it was after oh, it's the Pixar. Pixar buyout. It was after the Pixar buyout, so it's Disney Pixar. So it's a Pixar film then. What came out in 2008? Cars. No. As around the same time, around the same okay. time, give or take a year. Uh, not brave. Brave was way later. Um, uh, sh- shit, I don't recall. No. Okay, so if I pitch this movie to you, but instead of revolving around a car, it revolved around a big bird. Is it up? Yes. I didn't think it was up. 
think for a moment and look at the similarities between this movie and Up. I'm not going to lie, I'm drawing a blank. I'm going to need you to walk me through it. It's been a long time since I watched Up, by the way. Like, a really long time. Probably when I was in cinema. A grumpy old guy. Oh, I see what you're doing now. Okay. (laughs) Who had just lost his wife is put in the middle of a situation where a young Asian kid helps him out and learns, and he learns how to be more accepting with the help of his golden retriever. All right. You know, now I was thinking of more on a broader stroke. Like um, I'm 90% sure he wasn't racist, but yeah, now you've broken it down to more miniature sizes. Yeah, I do see it. Which do you prefer, Up or Grand Torino? I think Up is less problematic. I recall really enjoying the start of Up, which everyone loves, but and then I, re- I remember getting kind of bored around the middle and end. I Honestly, I haven't watched Up in a while. I, I, I think I've watched it since it released in cinemas, but I, I um, honestly don't remember exactly. It's a good movie. If you've watched it at all since it came out in cinema, you've seen it more recently than I have, because I think I only watched it in cinema and that's it. Which is what? So you 2008? I was eight. I was eight when I was watched Up. Uh, I think it was 2009. I think Up was 2009. But- we then have this interesting conundrum, which is, well, if Up was 2009, I know that Pixar films like have a long like production time just because of the nature of like how they're made, but it's not unreasonable for people at Pixar, uh, they're making this film. They went and, then, and they took a break and they went and saw. <laughs> well, Clint Eastwood comes out with Grant Torino, right? <laughs> And the guys at Pixar go, this is a really good movie and we really like it. Let's incorporate some of the elements of this movie into our movie. Yes, the the th- the, the ingredient that was really important in Grand Torino, the golden retrieval. <laughs> that was more just like the cherry on top. Oh, uh, sure. But yeah, so a- Asian kid, they reworked, they reworked the little kid. He wasn't actually Asian originally. They reworked that. But like, it's like Up is also a movie about old man who's stuck in his ways and doesn't know how to accept help and eventually comes to learn that other people, especially like young people can be good actually. And well, no way he's like haunted by the parts of his life that he wishes to forget in this case in up. It's the kid that he could, that his wife couldn't have. Whereas in this, it's the, you know, in the Korean war, sorry. And the way that, Clint Eastwood's character Walt um, reacts to his Hmong neighbors could be similar in the way that Carl in Up treats this kid Russell. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know what to say. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I like the part where Carl sacrifices himself in a Christ-like. Uh, imagery in christ-like imagery as well that's a good part at the very end you remember when carl does that yeah when when he dies at the end yeah yeah and then also i i like the part in up where um he uh carl goes to russell's home and walks through and calls his family all different types of slurs different slurs yeah and but then steals their food and beer that's a good that's a good part Here's an actual question for you. Do you think that that Walt's sacrifice at the end of the movie like redeems him as a character? No, but I'm also of the opinion nowadays that dying is not a good sacrifice anymore. It's a boring one, is more I should say. I think you should people dying at the end as a way of redemption is kind of boring nowadays. It's just been done so much. 
I get more, I'm more interested when um, when someone has to do something else to redeem themselves. And we don't really get that very often. I think what redeems him is how, and he doesn't even really get redeemed, but I think he's on the way to redemption, is when he's just helping B. Vong's character get a job and get himself together. I think that, but he gets like the job at construction at the construction side and then gives him the tools to help support him and then just that and just acts as a role model. That I think is a better redemption for him. Because you can die for anything if you try hard enough, but actually, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's easy to die, which is a horrible thing to say, but like you can just kind of do it. It's easy to die, but it's hard to live. Well, no, that's, that's actually the point though. It's easy to die, but it's hard to fix your mistakes while living. You can die with mistakes undone and people are kind of like forced to be like, oh, but he died trying to do this like one good act, therefore good stuff. But living and actually fixing your mistakes is a harder, it's hard. I mean, look, I'm talking about it in a, in a cinematic perspective, not in a, not in a real life perspective. I have no clue about any of this in a real life way because I've, I've never had to deal with the idea of dying. You've never had to die before. I've never had to die before, believe it or not. All my mistakes have been either fixable or ignorable. So yeah, I don't, I get why he had to die and they seeded that pretty early on that he was going to die anyway with the cancer and it's unsurprising that he died by the end. I don't think that's the issue and I don't have an issue that he did die either. I just don't believe that's what redeems him. It's interesting because like it's almost like a little on the nose because that sort of idea of dying to redeem yourself is a very like Western idea because it, it stems from that Christ died on the cross to redeem humanity of its yeah, the sin. self-sacrifice thing. And- Whereas like you see directly in this movie that like non-Christian cultures don't necessarily ascribe to that. And this is like the key turning point in the movie where as much as Walt wants Tao to leave him alone and just go away, his family is insistent on him doing actions to redeem himself, which is very different to the way that Walt's character thinks, even though ultimately that is the message that the movie gives across, is that the ultimate way to redeem oneself is to die. That's not a message that I ultimately really, ultimately really like. And I find it kind of weird because throughout the movie, Walt is continuously ignoring the words from a preacher. Like he's shown to be, he is shown to be very dismissive and very uncaring of what the preacher, the preacher's thoughts and feelings. And he says that the preacher himself is very predatory because he played on a, on his wife's superstition when she was very sick. And, but then Walt actually takes spiritual advice from one of the Hmong religious leaders instead and so it it even goes so far to show that walt doesn't have doesn't give a shit about the christian religion but he seems to be actually taking in advice and opinions from this culture that he so abhorrently dislikes at that point in time which makes it really irritating that he then does a christ thing at the end it just makes it really frustrating yeah it, it definitely feels like there's enough in this film that is set up to be oh this could be a really interesting and unique take on this sort of issue and then ultimately it comes back to the tropes and ideas of of a white savior narrative which which is effectively what this boils down to i think is that at the end of the day it's a white film for white people made by white people glorifying white people framed in a way that makes it look like it might not all be about white people okay i'm going to i'm going to put you put forward a hypothetical ending to this film instead 
I want you to tell me if you think this is better or worse. So we kind of seed we we seed out a bit of the gang stuff that goes on. It's still there. We keep it in, but it's not as prevalent and it's not as big an issue as the movie makes it. And instead, the end of the film, it just showed we just slowly see the degradation of Clint Eastwood's character from his cancer that he got from that he has from smoking. We just see him slowly degrade and degrade until the end of the movie when he's you know in a hospital bed dying and he's finally like but he, he, he's kind of at peace now and he's at peace because he's been able to make this connection with the Hmong uh, culture and, and all that and, and those people. And he's been able to come to, kind of to terms with the things he had to do in Korea and all that because of the acceptance of his neighbors in the neighborhood. I feel like that would have been a much more interesting movie than him just getting shot. <laughs> I, I look, I, I, I see where you're going with this, but I don't think it solves the key issue. Well, he's not a savior at that point anymore. Though. Well, he is. He is still the savior because he saves um, Tao. But then they also save him. Yeah, but not as explicitly. I don't. Yeah, think. but I still just think it makes it a more interesting film I, in general. I, I agree. I think you, there's more to be. There's more to explore in that sort of in that narrative path. I think, and I think you, they there's a potential for a story there that is more accurately reflective of um, minority cultures and the way that they're represented in media and um, represented in society and the way that they interact with people who don't want to be, I guess, educated about that and don't want to change hateful opinions about that. But I think there is still ultimately a lot of work that would need to be done to stop this from being a narrative about a guy who sees the kid doing a bad thing and fixes him. I mean, and the movie makes no allusion to this is that Walt describes himself as a, he fixes as a guy who fixes things. He fixes the washer. He fixes the someone's roof. He spends his time with Tao fixing things. And the takeaway from that is meant to be that he's fixing Tao, which like, I feel, I feel is just like not a narrative that's an inherently good representation. And I, I don't think, it's ne- even with like changing that ending would necessarily fix the core issue of this movie. I mean, I'm giving it, I'm giving it a quick fix on the air. And I'm just trying to get rid of what I really, what I dislike the most about the movie, which is the ending. Obviously there is intrinsic issues just throughout the film as well. But yeah, I just, that ending, it's like fine is basically mm-hmm. my problem with the ending. It's just like kind of, it's just boring. That's my issue with it. Because I mean, overall, I do like the movie because it's really well made. Some of the acting's a bit rough, but I think that comes down again to Clint Eastwood only does like one take. He never he doesn't do multiple takes. So I think, I, and because watching it, you go, that was a really bad, you think, could you not have done a different take on that? No, you couldn't have. Clint Eastwood moved on. That's the issue. <laughs> Because Clint Eastwood himself is really good. He never steps out of his comfort zone. And I think that's fine because I think what he does is really good. And I think there's enough from the other actors around him. Yeah, it's fine. It's a good movie. It's not brilliant. It's good. How about you? What do you think? No, I I definitely agree. I, yeah, there's, there's some stronger points and some weaker points in terms of some of the performances. Yeah, Clint Eastwood himself is an excellent actor and has proven this time and time again, and this is no exception. See, he's also a good director, except for that one thing of not letting people do multiple takes. Let people do multiple takes, Clint. But like the way he shows stuff and the way he shoots stuff, I think is really good. Yeah, I don't know if I have anything more to add to that. Well, what do you rate it? I rated Gran Torino 
three and a half racial slurs out of five. That was going to be my original joke, but I made a new joke, so we're lucky. I'm reading it three cod lobbies and a really racist and homophobic message that also says it's going to have sexual relationships with my maternal parent out of five. That's three and a half, by the way, if that wasn't clear. Well, it's time again for that time. It's time again for the time. It's time again for the time of Max and Mitch's mini media. Hell yeah. I was semi keeping track on who went first two weeks ago and last week, but I have forgotten now. So how do you want to decide how we do it? Do you want to do paper, scissors, rock? Um, sure. All right. You ready? Yeah. Hey, hey, scissors, rock. rock. Do we do four scissors? scissors. 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 All right. Okay. Three, two, one. Hey, Scissors rock. I, I can't see your hand. Oh, I that's I did a rock. Oh, so I win because I did paper. So you get to go first. Oh shit, we didn't decide. I'll go first. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's really hard to do paper scissors rock when it's on a delay because both of us were trying to do it at the same time and we were both just slowing down. So it's a paper. Anyway, I've been watching How I Met Your Father, the excellent, excellent. TV show. It's so good. Max, how good? Is, you you saw a little bit of an episode. What did you think? That's about as good as it gets, baby. Yep, you you said it in one. I watched half an episode and they were talking about cabbage the whole time. Oh, was it that episode? Yeah. yeah. It's a bad show. Um, so I'm I really like how I met your mother. I'll be the first to admit it has a serious amount of issues, very dated. Uh, but it's, I think overall, it's a good comedy show. Um, if you don't like comedy shows and you won't like it, obviously, but if you, it's good quality, it's very funny. And then they made the sequel show, Now I Met Your Father, which sucks ass. It's really bad. I hate every single character in it, except one. Is it, is it Hillary Duff? No, she's one of the ones I hate. I hate, I don't, I like the British guy. And I think if he was in, he's, he's the worst character in a different TV show, but that t- that different TV show is a much better show. So he's the best character in this show. If that makes sense. Yeah. That's a low bar. There's a bunch of very funny side characters that I like, but the show doesn't focus on them. It focuses on the main characters and they're all pieces of shit. And so a friend of mine and I, we watch it together. We don't, we don't watch it without each other. Basically. Uh, not Max. Max was just there as well at the same time. And yeah, we we hate it and we make fun of it the whole time. We don't rate our mini medias, do we? I give it a zero. I don't care if we don't rate it or not. I just give it a zero. No funny scale or anything. It's zero. Zero fathers. All mothers. Zero, zero fathers. Zero parents. No parents. Zero paternal figures. Anyway, that um, I called you dad. <laughs> Max, what's what, what's your mini media for this week? My mini media is uh, walking around the block that is my around my workplace for half an hour during my lunch break. Is there any particular reason? And by that, I mean, I've got back into Pokemon Go. Woo! Finally, the world was waiting for Max to get back into Pokemon Go. <laughs> I know I've talked about Pokemon for the last two weeks, but I'm going to talk about Pokemon again. For those of you who don't know, Pokemon Go is a AR to augmented reality Pokemon game. Serious question. Who doesn't know about Pokemon Go? Um, 
I don't Everyone know. Had I'm, it. I'm just going to do this anyway. It. I'm just going to in case you know. someone listens to it like 30 years into the future when the apocalypse has occurred and they need to. And they, and they, they go, what's this? What's Pokemon Go? Yeah, that's the one. The other Pokemon the, the stuff reading, is fine. Reading headlines, reading headlines from the, from the past, and they're like, "Oh, someone got hit by a car playing Pokemon Go." What's a Pokemon Go? Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I got back into Pokemon Go because yep. um, I realized I should do more exercise, and I figured walking and playing Pokemon Go is as much as I can convince myself to do that. That's such a good idea. It. It genuinely is. I've done more like physical exercise than I have in a really long time. But yeah, for those who don't know, it's an augmented reality Pokemon game where you walk around in real life um, and catch Pokemon on your phone. And it's just recently, just this week, been Pokemon Go Fest 2023. So they had a whole bunch of events and things, um, rare Pokemon that you could go catch and you could spend $23 on a um, special mission with a rare Pokemon reward. I didn't do that because I couldn't justify $23 on a mobile Did you camp. see me slowly leaning into my microphone to ask you if you spent $23? I did, I did not spend $23. I already have a Deancey in my Pokemon home. Anyway, a, a Deancey. It's a Pokemon. It's a rock Pokemon. The, actually, the reason, fun fact, the reason I have Deancey was because I went to the cinemas to watch the Deancey movie when it came out in Australia to get specifically to get the Pokemon as a special event Pokemon that you could only get by going and seeing the movie. You're making me really sad. <laughs> anyway, I've been playing it. My partner and I have been playing it together. We're going on walks together. It's cute. That's cute. We enjoy it. It's fun. I'm doing a lot of walking, which is good. It finally convinced me to buy new sneakers because my old ones had a hole so big that I could fit my whole hand from one side to the other. That's what you want in a shoe, I reckon. Like completely no sole support and hand fitness. You say no sole support. I say flexibility of foot position. But yeah, I don't know. I've been having a really good time walking around catching catching the mons. <laughs> Le mons? Is that, a, is that a reference to the next film we're about to do? <laughs> I've been catching Le Mans and, and been Le having Mans? a good time in the in the video games. What's this? Yeah. Le Mans and video games? I, I think I think it's a, I'm hearing a transition. We did it. Oh, the most perfect transition we've ever done. All right. Gran Turismo, based on a true story. That is actually the subtitle of the film. In some regions. In some region. Our region. Directed by Neil Blomkamp and released in 2023. It stars Archie Madiqui, David Harbour, Orlando Bloom, Jamon Honsu, and Maeve Cortier Lilly. Max, what is Gran Turismo, based on a true story, about? Gran Turismo based on a true story is about a guy who's so good at the video game. Oh my God. He's so good. He's so good at the video game. He's so good. That he does the video game in the real life. Oh my God. It's a real, uh, it's a real sort out online. Uh, but it's racing. It's, it's racing. And the racing video game is meant to be like racing real life. And then he does racing real life. And it's apparently based on a real guy who did this for real. All right, so let me hit you with a, an article I found recently about how true Gran Turismo based on true story really is. Are you ready okay. for this? Yeah, hit me. 
All right. First of all, uh, David Harbour's character, not a real person at all. Yeah, I, I sort of figured that it sort of was like it was too narratively like um, like it fit narratively too well. It was too good. Yeah, he was he was he 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 fit what happened. He his journey pre this film mirrored what was going on in this film too much. It was too good, right? Yeah. So not a real person at all. Not even someone by that name exists. David Harbour self insert OC into yeah. this real true story. I don't think it's David Harbour's OC though. It'd be um Neil Blomkamp's Neil right. Yeah. yeah. His OC is just David Harbour. My OC is David Harbour too. What a twist. What's your OC? Yeah, probably David Harbour. Yeah. Orlando Bloom's character, also not a real person. Um, there's someone that the movies, it's they're highly based off of, someone called uh, Darren Cox, but Danny Moore, who's the character that Orlando Bloom plays, is not a real person at all. Um, and basically, the creation of GT Academy did not occur the way at all it ha- happened in the film. So what actually happened? Well, so, okay. Um, it took a couple... It, sorry, it's shown kind of in the film that it took maybe like a couple months between pitch and uh, creation, right? Like, it was, it was pretty quick turnaround from the looks yeah, of that's, it. Yeah, that's definitely not what happened, right? Yeah, it, it took was about like two years. years. Making, right? Yeah, it took about two years. Apparently, Danny himself... The, so the Cox... Cox, Darren Cox is the real person. Danny, Danny Cox is the Danny Cox. Danny Cox and oh fuck, I've confused myself. Danny, fuck, Darren Cox, <laughs> real person. Danny Moore, da- fake Dazza person. Dazza Cox. Dazza is real. Danny is fake. All right, that's important to note. So they, this article actually spoke to Dazza. He said that Danny does some stuff where he's like being a dick and a corporate dick, and he's also got that whole part where he's like, is Jean the correct person to be the driver and all that didn't happen basically just never happened at all that type I mean, of like, stuff why would you care. admit to that though that's actually true but i reckon it still didn't happen because it, it happened to a fake character a person who just wasn't real because it happened to david harbour and david harbour's not real <laughs> no what about the american guy he lo- he loses or wins to in the first race in when they're in the academy well actually let me let me move on to my next couple of points i'm jumping ahead too much I'm going too fast. John Maddenborough wasn't the first winner of the GT Academy <laughs> at all. GT Academy was founded in 2008 and Lucas Ordonez was the first graduate. The competition didn't return until 2010 in which Jordan Tresson emerged as the winner. Maddenborough entered and won in 2011. He just wasn't the first person. So was he like better? Like was he a better racer? Let me let me have a look. I don't know. If that's the case, the GT Academy, hold on, let me just take a look. It's not saying if he was the best racer, but I guess what, what what's important to note is that he did come third in Le Mans. So that part's true. So I guess, so he came third in Le Mans and he did drive alongside Lucas Ordonez, who, as mentioned before, was the first person to come out of the GT Academy. But the th- in the movie, the third the third racer is also a GT Academy because at that point there's only one person who actually came out of it because in the movie because he's the first one. In the real life, in in real life, the, the guy had nothing to do with GT Academy whatsoever, the third racer. And also they didn't race for Nissan. They raced for Greaves Motorsport, which is a big difference. Well, so, so someone paid for a movie, I guess. This is the biggest one though. And this is what a lot of people actually kind of got up in arms a little bit about. So then here's the Nuburgring, which is the race. Nuburgring. Yeah, the Nuburgring. 
yeah, there's a horrific crash that occurs midway through the film and it acts as the second, the end of the second act down point of the narrative. Uh, John at that point is trying to get his racing license and um, he crashes and he accidentally, in that crash, it kills a, uh, a, a spectator. All that stuff, horrible. That's all true as far as I'm aware. Except for the fact he wasn't getting for his license yet because that crash occurred after his Le Mans race in real life. So the movie's being accused of taking a real life tragedy, 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 a real life tragedy and basically changing when it occurred to make a more dramatic story, which is a bit rough. If you ask me, (laughs) like, that's not good. (laughs) Like, what do you think? I mean, look, worse things have occurred and things that claim to be true life stories, real stories, but still rough look i think i think if you can go into a movie like this going well it's not it's not attempting to say this is a true story it says base it's still a narrative like it's still a fictional story it's still a dramatic story yeah i suppose yeah and like you're willing to do that suspension of disbelief i think it is i i think it is more narratively compelling in the way that it structures it no, I definitely, I definitely agree that this is more narratively compelling. I just don't. I'm just asking you about the uh, moral ramifications of switching someone's life events. So something so, a life of, switching life events around, I think, is fine. I think something so, so, so serious like that, there maybe warrants discussion. Whether or not it's correct or not is a different story. I just think it's something that we should definitely just for a couple seconds consider. Well, I think at the end of the day. It's not like they're changing the event itself. They're not diminishing the severity of the event and the and the horror of the event. What they're doing is they're repositioning it in a, in a timeline to make a narrative more compelling. And I think as long as you're not diminishing the actual horror and loss and tragedy of that event, then I don't think I really see a problem with it being repositioned for the sake of a narrative. I think that's a very good answer you get a point i'm giving you a point that's a point for you max i think that was a really good answer i got a point so ignoring the fact that this is a complete basically a a fictional tale about someone who's technically real did you like the movie i really did i really yeah me too (laughs) so i think important context i think i genuinely think this is important context yeah how we watched it right how we watched it so yeah you and i both went and saw it together we went and saw it and a friend at and a friend of ours yeah went and saw it the the how i met your father friend it's the same guy look at him go are we allowed to name him do you think we're allowed to name him we're not naming anyone else well was we got told off by your partner for calling her your partner we were supposed to start using her name. Yeah, but we can't now. True. The mystique has been created. We can't start now. A thousand a thousand followers and a face will get a name reveal. Name reveal. I mean, they'll figure it out if they look at who who's the one other person who follows. Shh, don't tell them. Don't Twitter. tell them. <laughs> um, no, so we went and saw it at the Hoyt D box. Um, I yeah. need some like sound there where it's like, Bruh. 
Wah! Or something. Or, or, or the, the Inception horn. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Hoyt Steebox and the Inception horn here. Um, yeah. Make which sure you is keep like, our description of how we're going to edit this later in this discussion. <laughs> Effectively, what, what that is, is it's like pseudo 4D. Mm. It doesn't have the spritz in of the face, but it's got the rumbling. It's the seat with the rumble. It's, it's got the rumble pack in the seat. There's no water. There's no uh, sense. There's no smell of no vision. Air. Yeah, but it 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 goes, which kind of, I look before we talk about whether or not it was good or not. I just do want to point out that it was very inconsistent what got a rumble because the sports car did not get a rumble. But when Jamon Honsu slammed that table, damn, did we get rumbled? <laughs> there was a lot of sports cars, so like you'd be rumbled most of the movie. Which, to be fair, it was rumbling most of the movie. A lot of the movie was a rumble and tumbling. <laughs> this movie. I don't think there's very many movies that are elevated by a, by a vibrating chair. I would agree. This, however, this movie, however, I think is one of the few movies that I'm willing to say it is worth paying the extra couple of bucks to go see it in a vibrating chair. I want to point out that this was not a choice that we made deliberately. We literally picked this session because it was the one. It was the only one that worked in the timing that we had, because otherwise we'd be up super late. Because it was going to be like a nine or ten o'clock showing, or eight o'clock, something like that, on a Sunday. Yeah, on a Sunday when both of us had work. We we don't just go to bed early on the Saturday or Friday night because we're tired. I mean, we do, but like that's an aside. Yeah, very true. But so we went basically. We were like we 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 in talking about it beforehand with the friend. We were kind of just going. I guess we could spend a bit of extra money to be able to watch it at an appropriate time and not go to bed at stupid o'clock. So it was a happy coincidence we went and saw this movie in D Box. I, w- I had a great time in the D Box. It was good. It, it unfortunately reminded me of when my father first set up the surround sound system at our house, and the first movie we watched was Cars. <sighs> You know the opening of Cars where it's like 30 racers. <laughs> One track. A <laughs> 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 50, 29 losers. I ain't losers for breakfast. Wow. I ain't losers for breakfast. Wow. <laughs> it's me, Owen Wilson. I'm oh, I'm a car. I'm a car now. Anyway, I'm a car. It reminded me of that because I remember sitting watching that movie and that like they had that start the like ground rumbling a little bit because we had the surround sound not real. Loud. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we're like, whoa, it's so cool. It's so that that was the feeling that I had in the default. It's <laughs> crazy that the first Turismo. the first film you watch with a surround sound being cars is an insane idea to me. Do you know what the first film I watched with at home in our surround sound was? Wasn't it? I think I know the answer to this, but you go. What do you think it was? Wasn't it um, Into the Spider-Verse? It was. It was Into the Spider-Verse. Which, excellent movie. Like, great movie, unironically. Well, I mean, that movie is brilliant overall, but its sound design is one of the best parts of it. And I'd watched it a couple of times on my phone since seeing it on cinema. I I watched it in cinema like about two to three times because I loved it. And then I got it I got it on a Blu-ray and I wanted to watch it late at night and I didn't want to wake my parents up. So I watched it on my phone. Still a great movie, but it does not work nearly as well on your phone as it does on big screen. I had a friend, I had a friend in high school who I kept going on. I saw Gravity in IMAX, which like one of the best ways, one of the best film experiences I've ever had. 
just yeah, it really doesn't things. gravity does not work in any other way it really doesn't but i remember <laughs> like pressuring my friend to go watch it um and he's like oh yeah fine and then he watched it on his phone and he didn't and he, he liked it but it like it's the worst way, like, the worst way to watch that film i i had to watch it for a film class last semester and i i watched it in my living room and unfortunately the time of day i picked there was just a bit of sunbeam that was going across the screen and um and it was at that point where the blinds couldn't help either they were just it was just like directly underneath the blinds i was like this is fine this is better than if i watched on my phone at least we were talking about spider-verse we can skip over that it's not important i was just gonna gush about spider-verse spider-verse is good if you haven't watched it what are you doing go watch it We'll probably review it when the last third one comes out, right? We're, we're, def- we're definitely not going to not talk about it. We're definitely going to talk about it at some point in the future. I think Gran Turismo was a movie that I saw the trailer for and thought, that's fucking stupid. I hate the fact that this movie is being made. And then I saw Neil Blomkamp was making it and I went, that's even fucking worse. Neil, what have you done to yourself? What what has happened? Because for those who aren't aware, Neil Blomkamp did uh, District 9, which is really good have you seen it no okay really good movie about the apartheid in south africa i think he himself is south african so it makes sense that he would make something to be fair i've actually not seen chappie or elysium or demonic which are the movies he made afterwards i heard mixed reviews but i was kind of hoping he'd kind of get himself back up on his feet i mean he tried to do the halo tv show and it Everyone complained about Master Chief taking off a helmet like in the first well, no, no. episode. So he didn't do he didn't do that one. He was going to do a different one. Oh uh, yeah. He was he was he was like years beforehand. He was like in the meant to make one and that just got cancelled. But he did had a bunch of other projects that just failed. Like he just could not get anything off the ground. And then this being it, I was very disappointed. Yeah, he's a good filmmaker. Because I was all in on this. I love Ford vs. Ferrari. Have you seen Ford vs. Ferrari? No. <laughs> Fucking damn it. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Spider-Verse. Something, something, Spider-Verse, something, something. Uh, Neil Blomkamp. Surround sound. Surround Neil sound. Neil Filmography. Uh, we definitely didn't pause recording to go do stuff and then come back. Did yeah, you uh, Chappie. F- Ford vs. Ferrari, you son Ford of a bitch. Ferrari. Yes, that's where we were. <laughs> God, we're good. I've, I've I've seen three films, and I want you. Two of these gonna be really only easy to three, guess. Only the only three films you've ever seen. You son of a bitch. Um, I've seen three films, and I and three and I've seen three films based around Le Mans, or the, the end being around Le Mans, like the the final thing. So I want you to guess the three films. They're gonna be really two of them are gonna be really easy, and the third one's gonna be hard. All right. So the the movies are this one. Yep, Gran Turismo. Gran Turismo. Yep. Ford versus Ferrari, because I know we talked, we briefly talked about it, and then we had fried chicken. Its name is also Le Mans 66 in certain other markets as well. So yeah, it's definitely. Now, hear me out. Cars, I think. It's not cars. Piston car. No, it's based on the Indianapolis 500. Yeah, it's also not the same race at all. <laughs> what would be. You're going to kick yourself when I say what the name of this movie I'm is. I think racing movie. It's got Steve McQueen. Steve? No. It's called Le Mans. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I watched it the other day. I It was on my letterboxd. So if you looked at my letterboxd recently, you would have seen it. But yeah, so I've seen three films that end up with, I like, all uh, either culminate on or are about Le Mans. 
this is the worst one of the three, but it's still pretty good. <laughs> I watched Le Mans with my dad the other night because um I was I kind of wanted to watch it before we actually talked about Gran Turismo because I wanted to see I wanted to kind of compare it and see how the racing was, especially since racing there's like the, that racing film and then there's been like a little bit of a resurgence with racing films nowadays. All three films have Le Mans in it. I was curious to see what it looked like. My favorite's definitely Ford vs. Ferrari. That's a really good movie. Anyone, everyone should go see it. It's by James Mangold. He did Logan, which is a good movie, possibly the best superhero film out there because it's basically a Western, but not a Clint Eastwood Western, a different type of Western. It's less racist. It's less racist. This movie's racing... I was kind of hoping for Ford vs. Ferrari racing, and we didn't get that because Ford vs. Ferrari did a lot of really cool drone shots and these kind of drone tracking shots. And we get almost that in some of these um some of some of the shots that we get in this movie. We do get other shots though that are pretty cool. Now, when we walked out of the cinema, one of the first things, because usually we don't talk about the film upon walking out, but we kind of had to talk about this one because we were both, I think, worried that the other person was going to ream us for saying we liked it. <laughs> right? Was that was that the issue? Th- it was. It was that. It was that. And the was this movie only good because D-Box? Yeah, we needed to quickly talk about that. Yeah. So now I want to. We talked a little bit more than we usually would, and I want to. You brought up the graphics, like the actual like video gaminess of the movie. You have a little bit of a rant about that. I, you, yes. Okay. Do you want to go on about that? I'll, I'll, I want to talk about that for a little bit. So I think this movie almost does its graphic overlays, special effects really well. Almost. There are some points in it that I think are really good. You might say, oh, it's cheesy or whatever, but I no, really I liked like, it. I really like the parts where like there's, I, I really like, and I think the effects are quite good of these sequences where he's in the racing chair and the car builds around him or there's a mirror, there's a mirrored um, shot where he's in the car and it falls away to him in his bedroom in, in, in front of the computer. That is pretty cool. Yeah. And I think like there's points in that where it's really good and they do some interesting things with the like live positioning that you would see in a racing game for like, if you, um, if you've ever seen gameplay of a racing game, you'd often have the car in front of you will be tagged with a time, with a position and a time difference. Um, yeah. In a similar way that if you watch um, competitive racing on television, you'll see that sort of thing in a in a sidebar. Like for instance, if you ever watch the F1, they have that sort of thing. And they do that a little bit, but they it feels like they forget that they're doing it and they swap to other ideas. And overall, my biggest complaint is there's a lack of consistently consistency with the special effects. And that's even down to you open up the film with the Marvel title sort of thing of they're in um, whatever town it is. We should actually talk about is. that, shouldn't we? We should talk about that. <laughs> whatever town it is. And then that never comes up again. They go to a series of different locations in this um, movie. They go to Germany. They go to France. There's they're in um, Japan for a big. I think Germany gets a title, and then but then doesn't get other other places. Don't though. They're, yeah, but they're, they're in they're in Tokyo. They're in France at Le Mans. There's a couple of other places as well. The um the the one we talked about before the the the, the Nurburgring. That's that's in Germany. Yep. Oh, but I was just kind of trying to list. Oh, yeah. sorry. Uh- <laughs> Um, 
but like they don't get titles, <laughs> they don't get titles. And then you also have the change from this sort of like game style tracking to these freeze frames where it shows what position he's in. I don't think either is necessarily like the wrong choice. I think they've, they've, they've both got merits. I think for this movie, the, the tag, the tag tracking is correct. To give that that video game. I think you could use the other one sparingly, but they rely on it too heavily and don't use the other one enough to make it a look like they're really using it as a motif as well as like, it just feels confused. But my big, my big one thing, and and we did talk about this as well, is yeah. the scene. And I think this is honestly the worst scene of the movie that he is escaping the cops. They're at this party under the bridge before he goes, before he races in the tournament, before any of the major points of the film, he's at a party under the bridge and he's razzing up some girl. Um, is that gonna? Is that like too localized language? You need to say Riz. Sorry, he's too busy rizzing up some girl. Yeah, Raz has a different connotation in different parts of the world. Okay. Yeah. Um. Welcome to Melbourne, baby. I mean, even in Melbourne, it's there's a difference. I, I don't know yeah. where Raz came from. That North, one just northern suburbs, baby. Too true. Yeah. So they're under the bridge. They're having a good time, having a drink. Then the cops show up and they're like, oh no, we're going to go. And he's like racing away from the cops and they get away from the cops. They hide from the cops and a big graphic comes over the top of the screen and it says cops evaded achievement unlocked, which never happens again. He never unlocks an achievement again. It looked like shit. It looked worse than every other graphic in the film. I think there's a, there's a reason for this. And I think it is because that looked like it was meant to look like a video game. Completely forgetting that the whole idea, the whole conceit of this movie is that the game was so realistic that it made people good at driving, like actual real driving. And the fact that like whoever was supervising the graphics there missed that. Well, cause I think the, I think what's, I think the reason why it doesn't suit as well is because for the rest of the movie, there's a basis in Gran Turismo's design, like the video game itself to take the numbering of where certain cars are and the times and that UI and all that. You never escape from the cops in a Gran Turismo video game. So they had to come up with that all on their own. And what they had to base that off was a need for speed probably instead. So yeah. So, so for everyone who hasn't ever played Gran Turismo or or played many racing games and all, Gran Turismo is not a, um, you run away from the cops because you were speeding kind of game. Gran Turismo is, as they describe it, a racing simulator. It's not a game. It's a racing simulation. Which I wanted to punch him in the face so hard when he said that because he's he's got his girl, the girl there, and she's obviously interested in him, and she's trying to take an interest in what he likes, and he's like, she's like, oh, you're really good at that game, aren't you? And he's like, it's not a game, it's a racing sim, and it's like, I hope you remain a virgin for the rest of your life, really. Yeah, at no point in any Gran Turismo game has there been a like avoid the cops sort of aspect to the game. It's not a game that is based around like unlocking things uh, in, in, to the same degree that a game like Need for Speed is, for instance, which is which you would expect something like this to come out of. You'd expect Cops Evaded to come out of, yeah, like a Need for, Need speed, for speed or a- yeah. Grand Theft Auto even. Like Grand Theft Auto kind of thing, which is more street racing sort of thing. Well, they're more arcade games as well. Whereas this is a, um, this is a 
simulation. No, because game. Gran Turismo has a pretty strong arcade history as well. But but the the conceit for this is, I mean, they say in the movie at least that's meant to be a really accurate racing simulation. Whereas, because obviously the cars and have you ever played? A Gran Turismo? Maybe a handful of times. I've played it a couple of times and the driving is really hard. <laughs> it's a really hard game to like, it's it, obviously it's a game you need to master because it's one that involves you having to do proper braking and turning. Otherwise you're going to spin out and you're going to crash and burn and all that. Whereas with other games such as Need for Speed and, and you know, even Mario Kart and stuff like that, it's, it, you can pick it up and just play it. Obviously you're not going to be as good as someone who's practiced it, but it's... It, yeah, Gran Turismo is not not as much as like yeah, and they they go on about like how it's a sim and not a game and like you know for, to each their own. I'm 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 probably in the it's a game, it's a game, not, a, not oh, it's a, a game. Yeah, it's a game. <laughs> so I thought you were going to say which one your favorite driving game was. I was like, we're, we're Mario Kart guys, right? Yeah, we played a lot of the, we played a bit of the crew as well. Oh, we did play the crew. God, we were a good crew. <laughs> I kind of. Uh, Kind of like that game. It was good. We should go I back to it. it. We should go back. Join our crew. We'll, we'll, we'll make a <laughs> In the bar. No, we weren't. We weren't. <laughs> I'm not giving you my Steam. You can't see how many hentai games I've played. What was the, where were we going with this? I guess that was one of the biggest like criticisms I had with the film. I have one other major criticism with the film that I haven't discussed it. Do you want to say it now or do you want to wait a little bit to do it? I'll say it now because otherwise it will sound like we've set it up and it haven't gone anywhere. Sure. This movie as much as it pretends it's not is a jerk fest oh yeah as in like the main character just continuously get it's like it's like a dream Wait, what do you mean actually sorry so, Hold on. so i say this twofold one yeah. is it's it's very like wish fulfillment the main character gets pretty much everything they want get the girl the dream again that said when not diminishing either the accomplishments of this guy real guy or the actual real tragic events that have occurred for this guy. But in this narrative, in this narrative, it, everything's very like wish fulfillment. But more so than that, what annoys me more than that is it's almost every character is a guy. There are no women who progress the story at all, who are important to the story at all beyond his like crush, who he spends most of the movie stalking on Instagram Oh, uh, isn't that how? That's how I spend most of my time with my crush, though. Yeah, but you you make a podcast and and I'm not in a movie. It's true. I am a sad, sad little man. <laughs> sad, sad podcast man. Yeah, but for a movie that, like as you said, they've invented half the character, more than half the characters. Two of the three main trio aren't real. <laughs> like everyone's a guy, and the female characters in this movie consists of his mom who spends the whole time worrying about him his crush who is in love with him anyway so it spends like the whole freaking movie being obviously into him and this guy's just like yeah i'll ask her out later it's like you dickhead and the one other racer in the gt academy who's like in three scenes um and says nothing. That was the thing I was thinking of in the movie. Just make her one of the Le Mans races, like, like because especially when it turns out one of those Le Mans races wasn't they didn't run Nissan and it wasn't any of those other two people anyway. So just make her one of them. The inherent problem with that one is that for some stupid reason, um, racing is 
agendered sport. But oh, um, okay. I won't get yeah. into that. Yeah. Okay. I didn't realize. I just thought racing's. I genuinely don't know why it is. Racing's racing, right? <laughs> that I would have thought so. I don't do the racing, but I would have thought that you would race make uh, racing the big metal car something that could be performed by anyone. Woman, fast, just as fast as men just in the same fast. car. <laughs> Car is the same fast. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's only, if anything, woman may be faster because woman probably lighter. <laughs> if that's it, but unlikely. I don't think that's how it works, honestly. Uh, no, it does in some, in some of them it does. The, like, no. the actual but at that point, just do it, it in does. weight categories like wrestling. Don't do it in gender. Like, it's, it's, it's stupid. It, I don't that know. is stupid. Anyway, okay. so like that, like that, I that sort aside. of understand. Yeah, but yeah. there are so many other characters in this movie that, didn't need to be guys. Yeah, that they could have just they could have just had another another female character in the movie. They could have just had. Who would you like to? Who who do you think should be gender swapped? The um, Darren. Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom's character. Yeah, Dar- Dazza was the real guy. Yeah. There's no reason that he needed to be a guy. The like, there's no. Um, there's nothing that links him to racing as a men's sport, which like you could argue that David, that, yeah, that David Harbour's character and the main character, like they're racing in like men's racing. Yeah. So since the, since the sport itself is gendered, you is, need to have gen- um, a guy like, who can train him in the races he did before type thing. Yeah. yeah. But you can argue that, but there's absolutely no reason that this character that doesn't really exist who works for a company that wasn't related in the real wasn't related to the real story at all. Oh, I don't know about that. I just know that when he when he when, when he, he raced Lamont. in Le Mans, okay. he wasn't. At that point he wasn't, but I don't know how I don't know how true Nissan's um uh, relationship to GT Academy is. But regardless, like there's no real reason if you're going to like fictionalize so much of this story anyway, there's no real reason that it needs to be so like male dominated to the extent that Every female character is nothing one dimensional and replaceable. I totally agree. It's rough. It's not, it's not cool. It's a bit of drool of anything else. Even though, yeah, you do say, you say all that. It's, yeah, it's, it's good. It's just, it is a good movie, though. <laughs> Look, it is, it is still a good movie. And I had a lot of fun and I had a lot of fun watching this movie. What was your favorite part? I felt tense through the whole movie and i came out of this movie going like was i tense because i've been sitting in a vibrating chair that doesn't let my body relax for two hours <laughs> or um is this movie a tense narrative and i i, I think it's both like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna deny the day box it's part in this <laughs> it's part in this but i think the movie is for the most part like pretty tense a lot of the time it makes the races you, you feel invested in the races and you feel like you're not sure really what's going to happen i like i didn't know any of the truth behind any of this before like i mean i only looked it earlier. up after, i only looked it up afterwards as well so i didn't know either so i have no idea what's going to happen who's going to succeed anything like that so the um anticipation of watching the races is tense and then like you have the scenes revolving around the accident and that's all tense. And I think it does a really good job of maintaining a level of tension throughout the film that makes the payoffs 
really effective. And I, I think that's what the, this film does best is that it is really, really consistent at building those moments. And then when it comes to he places on the podium at Le Mans or there's a big emotional moment where he like reconciles with his father or. Oh. I love Jamon Honsu so much. I'm sorry. I know I'm interrupting, but I love him. Yeah. Please continue. Although like, but those like big emotional moments really feel effective because the movie's built around that. And um, I think this movie does a really, really good job of that. I think the racing is really good. I, I, what I believe is it turns out Mitchell Hale, he hates sport in real life, but put it in a movie, he's going to freaking love it. Because some of my favorite movies of all time are sports films. Even better, make it a racing movie? Oh boy, I'm going I'm to enjoy the fuck out of that. Now tell me your opinions on cars. Ka-chow, as it were. I actually think cars is fine. It's not as bad. The first one's fine. The second one sucks ass. Third one is fine. I haven't watched them any of them recently, but you've just got to, that's another quickie. That's a quickie for me. A quickie a review on the car franchise, cars franchise. Qu- quick review. Quick review. Quickie bus. But so I really enjoyed the racing in this. The racing is shot really well. Like competent doesn't begin to cover just how nice it actually looks. What threw me though was the drama sections of the film when we actually were meant to invest in the characters. The only character I invested in was David Harbour because I love that man so much. He, and to be fair, he is excellent in this film. He's like, the best part of the whole movie. <laughs> he, he is. And he puts on a really good performance and a really compelling performance. And I want to hug him. I haven't seen David Harbour in something I haven't enjoyed his performance in. What else have you seen him in beyond Stranger Things? Stranger Things. Stranger he Things. was in Black Widow as... He was in Black Widow. That... I the Patriot, the Patriot, the haven't haven't seen that, and I haven't seen Violent Night either, except it's on my list because it looks ridiculous. Violent Night is very fun. He plays a really good Santa. He's also he's in the new Hellboy, which is a really bad movie, but he's good as Hellboy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've seen him in a handful of things, but everything I've seen him in, I've really liked him as like a standout performance. He's really good. He's very charismatic. He's an asshole for a. For, for pretty much the first half of the Sorry, film. I thought you meant just in general, David Harbour's an asshole. No, no, But he's really good at what he does, and he is a very good and competent actor. And he he plays the gruff asshole with a heart of gold really well, really well. Which is basically every character he ever plays. But I don't want him to ever stop playing that character because he's it's really those, good. He's one of those actors who it's like. They get typecast because of a role that they did early on in their career, but you can't see them as anything else. And they continue to do that. They continue to do that excellently. It's almost like, I don't know if he's a good actor, but he's certainly an actor whose performances I enjoy. And I don't, because I I haven't seen him do enough range to really say whether he's good or not. But I think whatever he's doing right now is very enjoyable. And I think he's good at what he does at the very least. He plays to his strengths. Yeah, as you said, there's not. He hasn't spread his dramatic wings as broadly as because well, um, some other some other like actors. Hellboy of, of, is gruff asshole with heart of gold. Uh, 
Russian guy is just comedic side thing. I don't really think he's, he's I mean, and he's even then he's gruff with a heart of gold. <laughs> Hopper is the gruffest man with a heart of gold, the heart, gold most goldy heart. Uh, what was the last show he was in? Um, Violent Night. Oh, Violent. Santa at that point, he's so disenfranchised and a gruff. <laughs> But he has such a has heart, a of, heart gold. of gold. No, like, yeah. And and again, it would be I, I wonder like it would be kind of nice to see what else he does. Like as as he continues with his career. He was in James Bond for like two seconds. He it's not worth talking yeah, I about. Like I don't know why I brought it up. Most people were in James Bond for two seconds. I could name one person who was not in James Bond for two seconds. You ready? Yeah. You. Oh, well, you caught me. Fucking gotcha. <laughs> God, I'm good. I, I don't know what more to say than that. David yeah, Harbour's great. We, we, we've talked about. I think we've gone over David Harbour enough. Um, I think Orlando Bloom is pretty fine in this. He's not in it as much as I think them. He's he's in a small amount, like not a small amount, but a, a decent amount, but not a large amount. He kind of disappears. Yeah, I mean, he he's a, he's a secondary back. character. And I, look, I think he's fine, and I think his character's fine. Um, but as I said he's before, like there's there's no real like it doesn't really feel like there's any real reason that it can't be someone else or it can't be someone more compelling and for someone who's meant to be pitching this really amazing like idea that's completely revolutionary and extremely dangerous he doesn't really give across a lot of the charisma that you'd sort of expect he seems pretty nonchalant about it as well (laughs) like he's he's suggesting that these functionally kids who have never like half of them have never gotten a real car before. Um, they're actually called sim racers. Sorry, these sim racers. Yeah, may or may not have gotten a real car before. It's up to debate. Yeah, go and um, race in these high speed vehicles. Like completely, you know, like insane as an idea. It's when, a good, when you when you it's, think when you think about it logistically, <laughs> when you think yeah. about it logistically, it's insane. Yeah. The other, like the other thing this movie does is it sort of touches on the like the elitism of racing, um, but it doesn't really go more than it says it. Like, yeah, there's elitism in racing, but it says it, it's like it's kind of it's just like yeah, they think you suck because you're kind of dangerous in an unknown quantity, and that's why they don't like you. Because also, you've kind of proved so far that you keep crashing and being bad at racing. <laughs> that's why they don't like you. It, 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 but it's like I don't know. There's, there's this. There is an issue in in racing as no, a sport. At this point, you're, it, get, you're getting in my wheelhouse at this point because I don't watch the real thing. Um, but like the one of the biggest, well, one of my biggest issues with racing as an actual sport is it's so heavily dominated by people with a lot of money, um, and it's very it's a, a sport that's very very hard to get into if you don't come from money. And almost everyone who is involved in the sport is was very wealthy before they started racing and will continue to be very wealthy after they finish. And this movie sort of touches on that idea and then leaves it alone, which I don't know. I think it's not the right place to explore it. I don't think, but it's also just a bit weird that they like go like they sort if you of don't bring it up, do something with it. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they like, and this is, Part of the problem with Orlando Bloom's character is he brings up this idea about this, like bringing this egalitarianism to racing, um, but it's just never touched on again. Well, that's like the driving force point why David Harbour gets does does it basically is because he's like, oh, I'm sick of the elites, but then that's it. But that's that's all it's used for. Yeah, and then they go and push Jan into becoming one of these like elites, elite elites 
oh, go spend, uh, get, get your girlfriend a first class ticket. He's like, that, that, that was a crazy part of the movie where he's, they're like, what are you going to do with your first like signing bonus and all that? And you know, what are you going to do with the money? He's like, he says something really clever. Like I'm going to put it to getting a nice house or something like that. And then David Harbour's just like, you're a fuckwit. Get your get the girl who you barely know to fly out here in first class so that she can watch you maybe fail at driving. <laughs> it was just messed up. Um, speaking yeah. of John, John though, I didn't like him as a character or like as an actor. I guess I think as a character he's pretty fine, but his character is so bog standard, bog standard, bog standard placeholder. He's meant to be like obviously the the audience's way in and like the the Harry Potter, if you will, like no, not much personality because we're supposed to like project ourselves onto him. You need someone with a bit more charisma to do that, though. I I think it's tricky because like on the one hand, I want to say for a video game movie, that is the ideal character. A video game is about like being able to take part in narratives yourself and be able to take part in things that aren't real and fantasies and whether that's finding a dragon or racing a high-speed race car. The key like distinguishing factor of a game is that it allows interaction from the, from the player and as a result you get that projection of the self onto whatever you're playing, whether that is a character in a narrative game or an avatar that is representative of you that is a blank face that sits inside a virtual car. And I think from a highly theoretical level, having a blank character for the audience to project on makes sense in terms of making a game about making a movie about a video game, because that's what the video game would do. However, that's not a that's not, really an effective way to have a compelling character and tell a compelling story in a non-interactive medium. And I think this is often where like video game movies like struggle. There's sort of like you get the two camps of either they go too hard with the narrative or not hard enough. Yeah, I, I feel like I didn't mind. I think I didn't mind his performance as much. You, you seem to dislike it a little bit more than I did, but. Oh, it's just boring is my issue. Like I just wanted, I just wanted more from him, and I just didn't think he was. I thought you could have done, you could have made what. I get that probably what he had with the script wasn't brilliant because it it wasn't, but you could have got a better actor to just put a bit more charisma into what it was. That's more my issue. Yeah, I I feel like it. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky point to balance when you're considering that you're considering that you want to keep the movie compelling and you want to have an interesting character and then on top of that you're playing off this idea that one of the one of the plot points in the first act is that he's less charismatic less um, that's actually really true i i do i'm actually glad you brought that up because at one point i thought oh that's really clever if they've been playing him like that the whole time the issue is though you're still going to make him interesting and he's not interesting so okay, I I, I guess it, it what, also, I should, it also I should, gives I should, you a it, launching pad for like making him more charismatic and making him more likable throughout the film as well. But, and which yeah, he doesn't. It, it just doesn't evolve yeah. from that. So I think I agree with you there. Like I think because I actually did. I forgot up until you just said it then. But I do agree. Basically, at that point in the movie, when because he's they're being trained to do media, um, media work and all that, and. And Orlando Bloom's like, this guy's uh, uh, a dunce. Uh, 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 I like racing. 
Yeah. Which you turned around to me in the theater and said, to be fair, most athletes talk like that. It's true. Watch <laughs> like watch the media media events after like any game of sports. If they've been playing in the game, they might have a grasp of like primary school level English. They're very good at what they do and not very good at what they don't do. Yeah. I could never be a professional athlete. I'm too smart. That's that's the issue. That's that's why that's why you and I could never be professional athletes, is because we're both just so clever. Yeah. Us freaking art students. That's um, that's definitely why we could never be professional athletes. Yeah. It's not that either of us just do not meet the fitness requirements or the hand eye requirements or the fact that we yeah, we also just don't have the commitment. What else can I say to make be mean about us? We're not, we're not we're not sexy enough. Um, well, I'm not at least. I don't know about you. I, I don't have a mullet. I don't have one either. My hair's too short at this point. Maybe if we grew it. mullets, we'd be good at sport. Let's do it for the do it for the vine. Do it for the clock app. The the clock app tick tick tock as it were. I tried to make one. I tried to make a TikTok in the theater when I went and saw the film that we're doing next week today. Um, and it saved badly and then it fucked up and then I had to rewatch it anyway just to make sure it was working and I was like I actually hate this and so I just didn't post it <laughs> I was gonna make one before this fucking recording session as well oh my god just make one after just make one after yeah some of this will get cut out some of this might be left in who knows Um, I think we have enough content to keep that out yeah look overall good film lots of issues I believe that's both of our takeaways from this it's definitely a film that, like, if you got an afternoon and D-Box is cheap, we got it when D-Box is cheap. Go watch it. It's fun. Take a friend. Take a friend. Go have a good laugh time. At it. Go get well, chicken wings afterwards. That's what, cause that's what we did. We got chicken wings afterwards. And it was, it nice. was really late and the, they stayed open for us. And I was very they thankful. They looked so... Like, they didn't look unhappy which was, like, the best part. Like, I was, I was very surprised that they didn't look so pissed at us so shout out to louis boss in preston just because i feel like they deserve it. they you guys genuinely deserve, it. deserve you do not out. need to be nice to us and yet you were also nice to us and not like dickish like i would have i would have been fine if you were dickish we would have deserved it <laughs> yeah we were the only people there and it was like 9 30 um anyway we got there right on the dot right before the kitchen closed yeah <laughs> we're pieces of shit yeah don't do what we did choose a better time to go eat the fried chicken but point is it's a fun movie do i think it will be good like on a second watch probably no. not no do i think it's, it will be a good movie to watch at home no. probably not unless you've got a good like set like, a good, good setup set up with surround sound and a big screen it, it's definitely like a cinematic in terms of like a theatrical movie. It's the gravity of sports films. It's the gravity films. of racing films. I was going to say, because I think most racing films should be watched in cinema because that's pretty good. Dude, Ford vs. Ferrari in cinema was so sick. Mitch. So Mitch, Mitch. What, yeah, yeah. I, got, I got a bit. I got a bit. You got a bit? What did you place this film? Damn it. Now I can't really do my joke. <laughs> like, I can't really do... Well, like, do, do you still want me to do my my um rating or... Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah, like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I give it four hours of Le Mans out of five, which that's, is a really short race. That's a short, they crash. That's a they short crash at Le the Mans end of the race. fifth race. 
They crashed at the end of the fifth By race. Everyone wow. DNFs. Oh, no, like, this, that would be a team. real bad incident. My team. My team. Oh, your team DNFs. My D, my team DNF'd at the fifth hour. Mm. And Oof. this movie deserved four of those hours. Four of the hours. Yeah. But also, please don't make a four-hour film. What, what's your rating? <laughs> my rating is... And like, I'm really... like, I just want to preface this with like... <laughs> yeah? I don't... I, I know we've been going off like letterboxed ratings and they only give you... Like, you do like half a stars. But I kind of want to give this like three quarters of a star extra rather than half a star. I've, only, I've, been, I've been sticking to letterboxed just because it's easy. But if you want to continue, go like break it down further, go for it. We should maybe just switch to 10, maybe, but out <laughs> of 10. But Let, let's, let's discuss that at a later time. I'm giving this three and three quarters. It's not a game, mom, out of five. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Before we switch, I want to just quickly mention the egregious use of gamer lingo. <laughs> like, you're a uh, noob. You nerve. <laughs> Guess you got nerfed, didn't you, new kid? <laughs> nerf this gamer it was so that was yeah that was something else every single time that happened i mean technically it made the film a better experience because i got to laugh a little bit more but it was horrible Brum. we have hate mail fan mail Oomph. Do you reckon we need a different sound when this says hate mail? No, I think because it's fan, it's from our fans because only our fans would hate us. I like the way you think. This hate mail comes from MC. Who's that, Max? Who could say? You are wrong. Oh my goodness. Is that, is that the subject line? That's the subject. Hate mail incoming. To declare Bram Stoker's Dracula 1992 as a two-star film is an insult to cinema. We said two and a half. This is a seminal film comprised of young, sexy, iconic actors lusting after sexy sirens and vampires. What the frick else do you want from an unhappy listener? I want cohesion. Hold on, I'm actually checking to see if I did rate it two and a half. Actually, I think two was... No, I think it was two and we rated... No, um, we both gave it two. Yeah, I, I went two, two one, and uh, 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 two. Yeah. Uh, and then the yeah. second one was two and a half. Yeah. Uh, you're wrong. Um, I'm sorry to say, listener, it was a boring ass mess of a film that was far too horny. I require less horn. Okay, no, I've watched horny movies and enjoyed them. I just think this one didn't do it in an interesting way. It was boring horn. Uh, yeah, uh, if I was more horny, I would have enjoyed this film more. Yeah, I, I was more aroused while watching it, but I was... I had just taken a cold shower actually moments before, so just yeah, no I, horn I in me. I personally had just um, been... Don't say it. Don't, don't do it. I personally just been castrated. <laughs> oh, that what you were going to say? <laughs> what were you thinking I was going to say? I thought I was like, I personally just busted one out right before, so... <laughs> so I was like, maybe, maybe not. I mean, now we said it anyway, but... I, I think the context has changed ever so slightly. Anyway, is that is that our hate mail? That's, our hate, mail? Mail for, that's our hate mail for this week. Oh, fantastic. Fan mail. This has been the Blockbusted Podcast. I've been Mitch. I've been Max. And you can send us questions, reviews, and warranted hate mail at blockbustedpotty at gmail.com. You know what? I think we should actually change that. That was unwarranted hate mail. You were wrong. I'm still up in arms about that last one we just read out. Anyway, uh, that's potty, spelled P-O. <laughs>
double D I E. You can also find us on Twitter slash X at the username BB potty and TikTok at blockbusted potty. We will change that, but we need 30 wait, days. We have to wait 30 days for the TikTok one. So once that's up, I will change it to BB potty. But currently, I think we're, I think we're at like 25 days or something. I honestly haven't looked. I'm just going to wait till probably October because by then it'll be guaranteed 30 days. I hate being rejected, so I don't want to have to like do it. And then it's like, we can't. This week, I want you to drive a car. I I do that and I shouldn't because I, I live real close to my work and I should Ooh. walk. But well, I I'm can't telling be you, getting out of the movie. I can't be getting, I can't be bothering getting out of bed in the morning. You, you just don't want to get out of the movie. The movie that is your life. The, if I could just do the movie instead of the work. Oh, man. Dude, if I could live off of the movie, this the movie, that'd be great. But yeah. Suckle, uh, suckle from the teat of the movie. Okay. Well, now you made it weird. Uh, but anyway, drive a car. That's what I'm asking you to do this week. Brum, brum. Life is Ma- a highway. My Gran Torino. Gran Torino. Gran Torino. Gonna roll down my windows with my Gran Torino. <coughs> Is that the cancer? Yeah. Gran Torino.